this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Have you ever wondered what language is going to be spoken in heaven? Is it possible that it is an entirely different language from anything we speak here on earth? Well, I certainly don't pretend to know the answer, but there's an interesting and controversial phenomenon in the Bible that happened to a group of believers shortly after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The Bible says that these believers were together when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages. This is also referred to as speaking in other tongues. What an amazing thing that must have been. Now, you might be pretty skeptical about this, and I don't blame you, but there's a very good reason why God caused this event to happen. So I want you to listen in because God wants you also to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every Christian, every person who's accepted Jesus into their hearts is primed and ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and God wants you to have the infilling, the indwelling, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so we're going to be looking at Acts 2, uh, where we see the first... Uh, kind of mass outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, there in Jerusalem and on all on the humanity that was there in uh, in Jerusalem. We're going to be going through the first several verses um, this week, and the next week we'll go through kind of the second half of Acts two. So if you want to get your Bibles out, you can follow along. We're going to go rather slowly. <laughs> Uh, in fact, we're going to break the first verse into two pieces and, and really study and analyze it. Uh, but you see there in Acts 2, chat, uh, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came. And I have to pause there. I have to pause there because we have to understand what the day of Pentecost represented, what it meant. Uh, a lot of us today, whenever we talk about Pentecost, We've referred to ourselves as Pentecostals. Those who embrace what happened on the day of Pentecost is something that can happen to us in this day and this age. And so we refer to ourselves as Pentecostals because we believe that we can still be filled with the Holy Spirit in a new and in a fresh way. We believe that so much because we know it's the truth. It's not just a belief. It's the truth. God's Holy Spirit is powerful today. He's available today and wants to fill your heart, your soul uh, today. But the day of Pentecostal, the day of Pentecost, let me let we need to understand the Jewish backdrop to the day of Pentecost and what Pentecost meant to them in that day and age. You see, there was three Jewish celebrations, three Jewish holidays that were uh, given by the Lord to Moses all the way back in Exodus, Exodus 23. Uh, God told Moses, I want these Israelites, they just come out of Egypt. Remember this, they just come out of 400 years of slavery. I always like to put that into context. Our country is just slightly over 200 years old. Can you imagine if we as Americans had 400 years of history as slaves? And, and horrible, brutal slavery, 400 years of it under in a different country in Egypt. They had been slaves. And so they had just been 
pulled out of slavery by miraculous uh, plagues and, and the hand of God had extracted them out of Egypt, parted the seas. They had gotten out into the desert. They had gone to Mount Sinai. And there the Lord gave Moses uh, many things, the Ten Commandments. But he told Moses, I want these Israelites to celebrate three one-week festivals. How many of you like it when you get a whole week off? It's, it's what you call a holiday. It's what you call a vacation. And, and it's wonderful to just disconnect, unplug. Now, can you imagine if the U.S. government mandated three weeks of vacation for every American? Paid vacation, all right? And you had to take it? And what if, furthermore, the U.S. government said, you know what, we're going to go a step further. We're going to say, you have to take one day a week off as well. You have to. Nobody can work. We're going to be monitoring the, the office parking lots. And if we see any cars out there, you're going to get a ticket. You have to take some time off. Well, that's what the Lord did. He said, I want you to take three weeks off, and I'm going to tell you when they are. And I'm going to, furthermore, I'm going to tell you the purpose of those days, all right? So the first one that we find is, and you find this in Exodus 23 and, and Deuteronomy 16. They're on your, tomorrow morning, you're going to get a text with these two chapters, all right? So you don't have to jot them down, but they're, they're outlined there. The first one was called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Do you know what unleavened bread is? Um, it's not too far off from these little wafers that we have during communion. It's, it's dry, it's flat, and it's not that good. You probably need to put some jelly on it to make it good, all right? Unleavened bread. And, and that was also referred to as a Passover. And it was in early April is when it, was, it took place uh, in our modern-day calendars. And um, it, it was called the Passover because if you recall, uh, the, the, the last plague that hit Egypt was it, uh, the, the, the death angel came and killed every firstborn uh, of every household, even the animals, the firstborn of everything died. But what God had done is he said, I want, I want you guys to kill a lamb, and I want you take to, to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of your residences. And the death angel is going to come over, and he's going to pass over every house or home that had that blood of the lamb covering the, the doorposts. Isn't that something? And so they call this... And to this day, I was—I remember being in New York City, sitting in a in of all places, the Empire State Building. This was a long, long time ago. I was sitting in the seventy-fourth or seventy-second floor of the Empire State Building, in a company owned by by Jews, by some Jewish folks, and one of the partners came. He walks into this boardroom and he says to the other guy, "Hey, did you celebrate Passover?" I was like, listen in, this is kind of interesting conversation here because I'm interested about Jewish history and, and culture and everything. And the other guy said, yeah, we went, to, we went to Jerusalem and celebrated it there. I was like, wow, this is really neat, you know? They still, the Jewish culture still celebrates the Passover, remembering how God brought them out of 400 years of slavery. It's a week long. Now, the Jewish Passover in back in farming times and the agrarian society that they used to be a part of the passover started the barley harvest did you know that started when the bar the barley started to be harvested 
And, and Deuteronomy 16 is very clear about this. It tells, tells the Jews to, to uh, work for, for seven weeks, 49 days, seven weeks. And on the 50th day marks the first harvest that happened in those times, the first harvest. And that's when their second celebration was the start. And that celebration was referred to as the festival of harvest or the festival of weeks. Why would you call a holiday the holiday of weeks? Well, because there were seven weeks that transpired during this bar barley harvest. And at that, when that, that first harvest came in, the barley came in, they were to celebrate because they were going to be pulling in all this, this harvest. And that was another week-long harvest. And it was, it was a break between the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And right then, at the end of May, first part of June sometimes, would they would start their wheat harvest and that would go throughout the summer and then they were to celebrate in in autumn or in the fall they were to celebrate their their final uh, holiday and that was referred to as the festival of in gathering and it was the second harvest and that harvest actually tended to be a bigger harvest they needed wheat for making all their bread and and all the things that they needed for the winter and so they had a big old fall celebration probably similar to our thanksgiving where you give thanks to god god thank you for giving us a good harvest and we're looking forward to the winter we have plenty of provision to make it through to next spring when the whole process starts over again so three holidays the festival of unleavened bread or the passover the the festival of the harvest or the festival of weeks and then the festival of in gathering now the second one that second one that was was 50 days later in the greek when see the the the, um, the Israelites or the the Jewish nation was was really influenced by the Greeks before Jesus's time, they were Hellenized, is what you would call it, and they started speaking a lot of Greek. They started taking on a lot of Greek culture, and they called this festival of the harvest. They called it Pentecost, and you know what Pentecost means in Greek? It means fifty. It means they had gone fifty days. And they were there on the 50th day doing their, their second week of holidaying. And they were told in the Old Testament, all of you need to come and gather before the Lord. Now at that time in the desert, they didn't have a temple yet. But when Jerusalem became the capital and that, there was a temple there, all the Jewish nation, in fact, it got out of control to where they basically just had the males come because there's just too many people. But they said, you all come, you come with your first fruits. You know, that's kind of what the tithe is, is your first fruits. I, 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 God, you've helped me make some money this week. Now I'm bringing you my first fruits, all right? And so they would bring their first fruits from that first barley harvest or along with other things. They'd come to Jerusalem and they would worship. And let me tell you what, Jerusalem was packed out. People from all over the known world were coming, mig not migrating. They were a pilgrimage. They were pilgriming, if you will. To, to Jerusalem, bringing all their first fruits to offer them there into the temple to the Lord. And so, just, just an observation. I think this is really interesting. Um, you know what? They were in the desert. These guys had never experienced a harvest before. 
If they'd farmed, they'd farmed as slaves. They didn't know what it was like to collect barley for themselves or collect wheat for themselves. They didn't know what it was like. And isn't it interesting that God said, I want you to have a holiday for something you've never experienced before. I want you to celebrate a blessing that you don't even know what it touch, feels like or tastes like or looks like. And you know what? God's telling you that as well. He's saying, I'm going to bring such a blessing on you. I, but I want you to celebrate in advance. I want you to throw a party in advance, even without knowing what that blessing is going to be like. That's what he told these Israelites. They didn't even know what a harvest was. They didn't know what blessing was. But he said, I want you to celebrate in advance. And I'm telling you, I think the Holy Spirit's telling, telling a lot of us that same thing. I want you to start celebrating before your answered prayer comes through. I want you to celebrate before you see the hand of God. Celebrate. Be joyful. That's how God operates. That's what faith is, in fact. So, anyways, um, let, me, let, let me point to this. This is interesting. All right, so Jesus, Jesus died on the Passover, the day of the Passover. In fact, he's referred to as our Passover lamb. Isn't that, isn't that why, how providential, how, what incredible destiny God has, how he plans things in advance. He gave his son, the lamb of God, to be slain before the foundations of the world. He gave him to be killed, crucified, serving as a sacrifice for us so that his blood would cover our thresh our, our doorposts so that death would pass over us and we would be given eternal life isn't that amazing on the passover so much so that the last supper that you talk about jesus he was celebrating the passover with his disciples but it was commemorating his death it was a new it was, see see G, the, the holy spirit tells us see i'm doing a new thing I'm doing a new thing, something you've never seen before. And God's whispering that into your ear. But at that time, he was doing a new thing. He gave his son on the day of the Passover to, be, to, 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 to die for our sins. We see that in John 19, 14 right here. It says, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. And, here, and this is when Pilate had Jesus there. He said, here's your king. And it was on that day that he was crucified, on the day of the Passover. Absolutely amazing. So what happened then is the clock started ticking 50 days until Pentecost. But we see that during those 50 days in Acts 1-3, we see that Jesus revealed, he appeared to himself, to his disciples, to his followers, over the course of 40 days. All right, so during that, those 50 days, those seven weeks, 40 of those days, Jesus was appearing to his disciples. Then he was taken up into glory in front of those disciples. They were staring up, and the angel said, Men of heaven, why are you looking? The same Jesus, the way that he was taken up, he will come back again. And for nine or ten days... They waited on the Holy Spirit. We know that in Acts 1-4 that Jesus had told them, he said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father's promise, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Let me tell you what, some of you, you're waiting and you've waited for a long time for God to do something. God's telling you in a few days it's going to happen. It's right around the corner. Hang in there. Don't give up. My answers are coming. They're coming. I, I had this picture once in my mind, and I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have a pretty good imagination, so maybe it was me. Maybe it was the Lord. But I really believe it was the Lord. is like a, a you, you see these um, ski lifts that go up the mountain? It was like a ski lift, but it was coming down the mountain with bags of answered prayer. And, and that cord was just consistently coming in bag after bag after bag is coming down. Unending answered prayers. You just keep praying. God's answer is coming to you in a few days. In a few days. So they waited there literally. We know it's nine or ten days. They waited in Jerusalem. And sure enough, on the day of Pentecost. What's the day of Pentecost? Remember, it's the day of the first harvest. The day of the first harvest. Work. Three years of work of Jesus. And here comes the harvest. You're going to see what kind of harvest it was. It was absolutely amazing. Um, but we see. Okay, let's go back to Acts 2.1. Now we'll read the whole verse. On the day of Pentecost, when it came, they, it's the disciples, were all together in one place. They were all together, just like us. We're all together in one place. What does it mean to be all together it's talking about unity it's saying we're not divided we are unified by one thing and that's jesus now this whole you see these stickers of these cars that have uh, uh, you know coexist and it has all the religious different symbols and and it spells coexist you know what there will be never ever ever be unity amongst religions <laughs> it's impossible we believe completely and entirely different things. Does it mean we go out and gun down somebody we don't agree with? No, no, we're, we're not going to do that. Does that mean that I discriminate against someone at work because they believe differently from me? Absolutely not. Jesus said to love, but you, if, if somebody is thinking something that's wrong, it's, it's needed to disagree. We need to disagree on things and reveal what the truth is. All right. And so there's one thing that unifies us and it's Jesus. If you're serving Jesus and I'm serving Jesus, we're going to be of one accord. We're going to be of one mind, of one spirit. We'll have our little quibbles, our little disagreements. We won't see things, you know, completely the same. But Jesus unifies us. And let me tell you what you can't. I can't be filled with the Holy Spirit unless I'm in unity with other believers. I can't do it. So if I'm all out on my own and saying, and I was, I was at this place at one point, I don't feel like going to church. You know, I don't know what church does for me. You, you get resentful or maybe somebody hurt you at church and you're too tired Sunday mornings to get to church. Let me tell you what, you're going to have a hard time being filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you're going to have a hard time getting all the fullness of God in you. I don't know. God just made it that way. We need each other. They were all together in one accord. Look at, look at some of these scriptures. In John 17, 23, it says, Jesus says, I and them and you and me, speaking of his Father, so that they might be brought to complete unity. See, Jesus wants us to be unified. He doesn't want us to be arguing, griping at each other. He wants us to have one mission, one goal under one head, and that's Jesus. 
All right. He says that they might be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What makes us different? Well, there's many things that makes us different. But when, G, when people out there see that we're unified and, and we're really of one mind, one mission, they're going to say that's unusual because you just don't see that anywhere else. We need to be that way. And that's why the Bible says, hey, if, if anybody among you is divisive, is causing divisions, warn him once, warn him twice, and then don't have anything to do with them. Divisive people are dangerous. They're toxic. They rip you apart. We don't want any of that. We want to be unified. In Ephesians 1.10, it says, um, to be put into the effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God wants us to be unified. That's what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like, is complete unification under Jesus. In Ephesians 4, 3, here's another one. Make every effort. This is in you and my, our, our backs, all right? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Okay, we can't be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit if we're bickering at one another or resentful with one another. We need to be in, in unity. So let's go back to Acts 2, now verse 2. See, we've only gotten through one verse in the last 15 minutes. That's not good time, is it? But it's good stuff. Verse 2, it says, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind or a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. That'd just be a mind-boggling experience. We're praying. It says they were sitting. Nobody's kneeling. Nobody's hammering the floor. God, fill me! You know, No, they were sitting. They may not have even been praying. <laughs> I kind of believe they were praying. But they were sitting when all of a sudden the Spirit came down. They didn't say, here, speak some gibberish, and that'll mean that you're filled with the Spirit. Come on, I've seen people tap people's chins. Come on, speak. I'm like, get away from me. Don't touch me. Don't do that. All right? If the Holy Spirit's going to fill me, He's going to fill me. I'm not going to work up some kind of you know, experience. No, it comes from heaven. I don't need to manufacture this stuff. It, it's, it fail anyways, all right? And so tongues of fire come down. <laughs> we said the Holy Spirit will baptize you with fire. And this is a picture of that, the purity of God. See, fire purifies us. Are you going through a fiery trial right now? I bet some of us are. God's purifying you. He's not going to let you fail. He's not going to let you fall. He's purifying you. Oftentimes, the very difficulties that we go through actually are protecting us from something worse. Because we're stressed out, our eyes are on the Lord, and we're not doing foolish things, right? And that the purity of God, the fiery trials that we go through, it produces faith in us so that when the trial is lifted off, believe me, your trial is coming to an end. It's going to come to an end. You're going to come out with shining colors, but you know what? You're going to be purified by God. Your feet are going to be finally, firmly planted on the things of God, and you're not going to move by some dumb temptation that used to pull you away. Now you're going to be firm and strong in the Lord. So this fire came down, separated, came out on each, each one of them. 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to do something that has been so controversial to the church, to the Christian church. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, do I believe that this happens nowadays? I absolutely positively do. Why do I believe it? Well, it's happened to me. <laughs> and it happens to me fairly consistently. But let me, let me share with you my experience, all right? Uh, the first time I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I was 11 years old. I was at a youth camp uh, for missionaries' kids. Never forget it ever in my whole life. Uh, uh, all these teenage kids, and I remember looking up at them. They were so tall, and here I was this little squirty, little uh, chubby little... <laughs> 11-year-old eating a lot of hamburgers. We were back in the U.S., so I'd gained a little bit of weight. But I remember all these kids surrounding me for about 45 minutes, all right? They put their arms, you know, their hands on my shoulder. They started praying, and these guys wouldn't let up. And so I was praying with them. You know, 11-year-old staying attentive to something for 45 minutes, that's, that's pretty spectacular. But the Lord was there. His presence was there, and these guys were praying for me. And I'm telling you what, between 40, 45 minutes, the Holy Spirit filled me. And I started speaking in other tongues. I mean, I, and, and to describe what it was would be the only thing, the only way I can describe it is like the gushings of my soul going up to heaven. And I was saying things that I didn't even know what I said. I, I could know that my spirit was talking to the Lord, though. It was absolutely powerful life-changing, life-transforming. And ever since then, I've had times when the Holy Spirit, I'll call it refilled me, refilled me. He filled me that one time initially, but he keeps refilling me. And, and what's the purpose of tongues? Well, we're going to get more into that a little bit. But does God fill his people with the evidence of speaking in other tongues? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, we're, I'm going to jump ahead and just mention the scripture that's in Acts 2. Uh, but Peter says, this gift is for you, for your children, and for all who, who are far off. This is not something that just stopped with the early church. Why on earth would God pour out his spirit in one generation and not another? Don't you think we need the power of the Holy Spirit more today than we ever have before? Of course God's Holy Spirit is available to fill you. But let's, let's look at why in other tongues? What, what on earth? This is so controversial. This freaks people out in some cases. And then other people go overboard and everything is about speaking in tongues. And I'm, I'm not one of those kind of guys. I mean, I, I just, it's there. It's the gift. We need it. We need to talk a, little, a lot more about it. But there's so many other things as well. There's the full gospel. The full gospel, it's everything that's in the Bible, and I want it all. <laughs> I want you to have it all. I want us to have it all. And so, um, so, so just a couple of scriptures here about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and speaking of this violent wind, they heard a violent wind. They sensed a violent wind. That's the Holy Spirit. In John 3, 8, um, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus secretly at night. And Nicodemus and him are, are talking, and it says here, the wind blows. Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. The Spirit comes, he starts blowing in our lives, blowing the ash 
out of our lives, blowing the garbage out of our lives and filling us with a purity, the holiness of God. That's why the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. When he fills you, he's going to fill you with holiness. He's going to, there's going to be things that you've tolerate now when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, I'm not doing that anymore. That's, that's harmful. That's disgusting. I don't like that anymore. That's what's going to happen when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. In Psalms 104, uh, uh, verse 4, um, God makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. Let me tell you what, when the Holy Spirit fills you, you're filled with passion. We talked about this. You're filled with purpose. And, and all the other agendas that you had and the little goals here and goals there, you set them aside and say, I'm going with God. I've been filled with passion for what God has for my life, for what he has for this world. In Mark 16, 17, it says, These signs will accompany those who believe. Do you believe in God? Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe what he's telling you? I tell you, when this series is over, I'm going to talk to you about believing. This is what God has been dealing with me about. But those who believe in my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. If you're a believer, the Spirit's for you. The gift of speaking in tongues is for you. He wants to fill you. Just ask him. That's what, that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Is Jesus said, look. If your son asks you for some bread, he's not going to give you a snake. Similarly, God, if you ask him for his Holy Spirit, he's going to give him to you. He's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, 44 and 46. Now you might say, well, this story here in Acts 2 is good. Can you give me some other examples where other people were filled so full of God that they spoke in other tongues? Well, yeah, let me give you two other ones. In Acts 10. Verse 44 through 46. And we're going to go over this again in the future. All right. So you're going to hear it once. And then months from now, we're going to go over it again. But here's what happened. Peter. All right. This is after he had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter's praying one day. And I won't give the whole story. But he's alerted by God that he's going to be asked to go talk to a Gentile. Now, you know what a Gentile is? Gentile is a non-Jew. You're, I'm, I'm, maybe there's a somebody with Jewish heritage here. I don't know. But most of us are Gentiles. We're non-Jews. We don't have that Jewish heritage. So he was alerted, hey, somebody's going to come ask you to go talk to a Gentile. I want you to go. See, the Jews tried to stay separated from the Gentiles. And, and so as Peter was praying, the Holy Spirit made this clear. Sure enough, somebody bangs on his gate and says, hey, would you come with us? Well, he went with those guys, and he goes, of all places, to a Roman centurion, the enemy of the Jews, the occupation that was there in, in, that, in, in Palestine at that time. And the centurion is there with his family, and it turns out this guy's a believer. The centurion, this, this Roman soldier, is a believer. And Peter starts telling them the gospel, and as he's talking to them, these Gentiles are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know the Bible says, you know how Peter knew that they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They began speaking in other tongues. That's how he knew that they were being filled. It says they, proph they were prophesying and speaking in other tongues. So there's a second example. Let me give you a third example. Um, in Acts 19, and this is all in our reading, so I think around Wednesday you'll start getting these particular scripts. Really interesting stuff. Re I mean, read it, live it, digest it, because it's, it's really, really neat stories. But in, in Psalms 19, 
Paul goes to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is in modern-day southern Turkey, close to, not too far from Greece. He goes to Ephesus, which was a cultural center at that time, and he runs into 12 men. <laughs> 12 men. This is really a cool story. 12 men, and he finds out they're believers and that somebody had baptized them. So he says, well, how were you baptized? And he says, well, we were baptized uh, using John the Baptist's baptism. And so Paul goes, in, goes, goes ahead and explains and says, okay, well, that baptism was the baptism of repentance. But now that Jesus died and was raised, you need to be baptized into Jesus' name. So he goes ahead and he baptizes them. But they're also filled with the Holy Spirit. And how did Paul know that they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They spoke in other tongues. They spoke in other tongues. Twelve men out of the blue in Ephesus had some inkling about God. Have you ever run into somebody that you know is a God-fearing person, but they don't know an ounce about anything else? You just know their heart. They're open to the Lord. They talk about God. They talk about going out and talking to God and listening to God, but they don't have a Bible maybe. They don't go to church maybe. Those people are primed and ready to hear about who Jesus is. They're primed and ready about what is it to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in water into the name of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's three examples there in the New Testament where the infilling of the Holy Spirit was accompanied by the enablement of the Holy Spirit of speaking in other tongues. But let's go back into Acts 2 and, um, and just look a little bit at the rest of the story halfway through Acts 2. Um, before I do, let me just mention this one other thing. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, makes a statement that's very important to us as believers nowadays. He says, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do not forbid it. All right. Now, I'll tell you what, if, if one of you, and I believe this is going to start happening in our church, if one of you starts speaking in other tongues, the Bible also says that, uh, you know, a, a person can control themselves. I've been in churches where people start doing crazy stuff, and they get too loud. And when the blessing of God comes, sometimes you raise your voice a little bit. That's fine. But you know what? Uh, what, what we don't want is for out-of-control behavior for people, you know, just being crazy and wild in church. There's got to be a level of organization. In fact, the Bible says, uh, how does it go? I can't remember that the, the spirit of the prophet is under the prophet's control. In other words, you have control. If you're feeling blessed, speak in other tongues. That's fine. But don't do it to the detriment of all the rest of us. Amen. It can be organized. It, be, it can be controlled. But it says here, do not for, forbid speaking in tongues. We're not going to do that because if it's from God, I want it. If it's from God, I want it. So let's go back to Jerusalem. Here we go. And we've just gotten through two, two or three verses now. Uh, I, I mentioned this. Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost was packed shoulder to shoulder. People going up and down the streets, vendors you know, they had shut all their stores. And so it was a holiday of holidays. It was crazy. People all out. And it was at that time when the Holy Spirit, that mighty wind, that violent wind, the, the tongues of fire came out on, on people's heads. Man, crazy stuff. Verse 5, though, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. <laughs> I think part of this, it wasn't just the holiday. God knew what he was doing. He had brought in people from all over the world, God-fearing Jews. 
And when they heard the sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment. You would too. I would too. We'd come like, what was that? What's going on here? Because each one heard their own language being spoken. So now we start seeing why tongues? Well, in this case, it was you. They were speaking other languages that people could understand is what was going on. That was that was it, there was a purpose. It wasn't just a bunch of babbling. It was these people were speaking in the languages of those who were visiting Jerusalem at that time. Now, I will say this in 1 Corinthians. I'm just digressing a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, the love chapter, it starts out by saying this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, I believe, this is just me, but I believe some people speak in tongues and they're speaking a heavenly language. It's not, you're not going to find it in Japan. You're not going to find it in Russia. You're not going to find it in the Ukraine or, or anywhere else. It's a heavenly language. But I believe conversely, sometimes when you're filled and you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking a language that someone in the world would actually understand what you're saying. We've got all kinds of examples, modern day examples where that has happened. Modern day where that, I tell you what, if you're a Christian, you've got to believe in the miraculous. If you're a Christian and you don't believe that God can do something supernatural, something miraculous, you're living less than half of a Christian life. Believe in the miraculous. Believe that God can do something amazing. But there's the tongues of, of men and of angels. I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to learn a new language. <laughs> we're going to learn a new language. And some of us, as we pray, might actually be speaking in that heavenly language. Praise God. So uh, anyways, in this case, though, it was a language that others could understand. In verse 7 of Ch Acts 2, it says, Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, from this local part? Or, you know, how can they know what, what our language, that we're from different parts? And you'll see, there was Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, that's it, like modern-day Iraq, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, there you're talking about Turkey, and, and up into maybe even parts of southern Russia, um, uh, Phrygia, if I'm pronouncing that right, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, that's in Africa, near uh, Cyrene, video, uh, visitors from Rome, that's Italy, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs, all over, hearing their own language because of the power of the Holy Spirit filling these, these, these disciples. We hear them, and they even said what they heard, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? I mean, they're looking at each other. They're looking up this upper room. What does this mean? What's going on? Let me tell you what. When God starts moving, people are going to be attracted. And they're going to say, what's going on here? What's happening here? I want what you have. All right? Some, though, they made fun and said, these men have had too much, too much wine. They're already drunk. And Peter goes on in his speech, which you'll see next week, and he says, Man, this is 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we even find out what time. This was not an all-night prayer meeting. This is they'd gotten up. They may have been eating breakfast, and God filled them with the Holy Spirit. God filled them with the Holy Spirit. And so um, some, there's always going to be mockers. There's always going to be scoffers. you got to shut out the haters, as we say nowadays. All right, Shut out the haters. 
Do what God tells you to do. Fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with the people that Jesus has around you. Amen. So Peter stood up and he raised his voice. He says, fellow Jews, all of you who live here in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. And we're going to go into the next verses next Sunday. But let me end with this just really quick. These first disciples uh, or these disciples, they were enjoying this first festival of Pentecost, the, the, the festival of the first harvest, the festival of weeks. And they, listen to this, they had their first harvest that day. Because as, as you read down into this chapter, 3,000 people were saved that day. They had their first harvest. And, and they saw it right there. It was brought into them the day of celebration, 3,000. I want you to think of your family members right now. I want you to think of friends, neighbors, co-workers, people that you've been praying for. God is going to bring in a harvest for you. He's going to bring in a harvest for you. But, but much of our problem is the, the sense of weakness and ineptitude, the inability to get our loved ones saved is we haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because when that happens, the Holy Spirit is going to persuade family, friends, co-workers very easily, very quickly. They're going to come into the kingdom far more easily than what, they, than what we've seen up until now. But this was the first harvest. It's curious to me, as you read the book of Acts, you get to, I think it's chapter 28 is the last chapter of, of Acts. You read, if you read it like a novel, which you should, you read all the way through, you get to chapter 28 and it just falls off. It stops abruptly. There's no ending. There's no good conclusion. You're like, what happened here? What's, what's the rest of the story? I'll tell you what, I believe the reason why Acts ends that way is because you're the rest of the story. I'm the rest of the story. Let's finish that story. And I want to remind you that there's a second or there's a third festival, and we're part of that third festival. It's the final harvest. It's the harvest before the end of the age. It's a harvest that's far bigger than what we see in the New Testament. I think many of us, we say, God, I want the New Testament church. Well, we do. We want the New Testament. I want the end times church. I want the end times church. If you read about the end times church, you talk about a powerful, mighty group of men and women who change the world. That's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want the third festival. I want the festival of the end gathering where God, the Bible says the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. What are you looking for? I want to be infilled with the Holy Spirit so that we see that last final celebration before Jesus comes back and we reach this world for Jesus. I'll tell you what, I believe with all my heart, God is going to pour out his spirit in El Paso, Texas. El Paso, Texas is on God's map. It's on God's radar. He's looking at this city and he's saying, I'm, I'm going to make this the epicenter of revival. 
I'm going to make this the center of revival. I'm going to pour out my spirit so strongly. It's going to, it's going to pour into Juarez. And when it's El Paso, I think Juarez, El Paso, all one place. He's going to pour out his spirit in these twin cities. And God is going to bless so much. That revival is going to spread down into Mexico. That revival is going to hit head west. It's going to cover California. God is going to do powerful and mighty things. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now, to me, the sign is not so much the tongues. The, the sign is a changed life. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your life is going to look different. It's going to sound different. It's going to act different. The, the tongues is wonderful. It's a gift from God. I want it. I'll take it. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be great. But you know what? I want my life to change. I want the holiness of God to fill every corner, every nook and cranny, every little shadowy part of my life. I want him to displace all those yucky, evil things in my life. I want to be filled full of the Holy Spirit.